This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. What is up, everybody? This is Alex, joined as always by James. What's up? And Ryan Williams, who is a contributor for Toffee Targets as well as Toffee Analysis. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us again, as always. Always enjoy it, gentlemen. Thanks for the invite. Absolutely. So today we'd like to start off by talking about the international break, kind of do a roundup for matches played thus far, performances, that sort of thing. We're going to move into a discussion about Marco Silva, maybe a little bit about Marcel Brands. And then lastly, James is going to join Tony from the West Hamway USA podcast to do a joint Everton versus West Ham preview for this Saturday at 7.30 a.m. Eastern time. So let's jump right into it, fellas. And I'd like to disclose that, please, nobody, we're we're not taking this political in any sort of of way. I know there's a lot of backlash for... uh, a certain player, Jake Tosin, who we'll start off with. We're not taking a political stance. This is soccer. This is lighthearted. So Jake Tosin scored the winner winner against Albania, and he also was subbed on versus France in a 1-1 draw. Overall, it seems like he is continuously on target for Turkey. However, can't get a sniff at first team action with Everton. So many things to say, guys. <laughs> let's, let's move on. Yeah, no, I mean, you got to give him credit for scoring, but um, I, it, it seems obvious that this is somebody that was inherited by brands. We all know his pace isn't there, but he does kind of have this something, and we do need goals. I mean, you just kind of wonder. I just don't see any way he's a single striker. He's never really been a single striker. So if Marco's going to continue that formation, would you really – you wouldn't put him for You'd put even Moise Keane or, or Calvert-Lewin. So I, I don't know. I, I honestly think he's just playing for a move. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, despite that, he has shown a lot of determination, I guess, in all of his statements – since he's joined the club, he's expressed his desire to fight for his spot in the first team. It just doesn't look like it's going to come off. I mean, you're right, Ryan. He does kind of have just like that intangible way about him where like he's good for a goal when you least expect it. And you probably say he's the most natural goal scorer of the three strikers we have, excluding, you know, Umar Nias, uh, who we won't even mention. But yeah, I, I just don't really see any way that you can put in Cenk Tosin when you got Calvert-Lewin, who has discovered a bit of goal-scoring form this season, and then even just giving Moyes keen minutes so that he can further acclimate. I think that's more valuable than playing someone who might get a goal here or there, but really has no long-term future at the club. No, and I, I remember when we, we signed him, you know, I thought he was a good all-around player, but I just, can you see him playing up top in a pressing team? I, he has no pace. He does work hard, though, so he's easy for us all to root for, um, but even as a natural goal scorer, if Moise Keane plays, I still think that's just me. A lot of people think he's just some unproven 19-year-old. It drives me bonkers, <laughs> but um, he's much better than the guy scored in Italy for two separate teams. I mean, give him a shot. But, you know, who knows? I mean, the bottom line is I think we're pretty up against it financial fair play-wise. And I'm sure brands would love to have a little money to maneuver in, in the winter if someone wants him. I just I don't see him going to the Middle East. You know, you would think he'd be perfect for Germany. You know, big Turkish population. They would love him. He can score. The league's not that fast. You know, he's kind of he doesn't he's not really a target player. He's not he's not small, but I don't know. I just think he'd be a perfect fit in that league. But, you know, that would also be another one where you deal someone and they turn out great. I I don't know. I just don't see him playing for us. I just don't. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. It's unfortunate because he actually, in my opinion, he did really, really well when when he was first brought in that January. Actually, honestly, along with Theo Walcott um, under Big Sam, because I'm the we would create probably half of a chance on average every match, and Jank Tosin buried I think five goals. Um, But nonetheless, unfortunately, it's not going to work out. But still notable nonetheless. Um, Moving on, Brazil played against Nigeria, which saw Alex Iwobi start at the ten where he is most comfortable and, and possibly Everton could look to start him in the near future. Whereas Richarlison ended up subbing on for Brazil. Um, it was a 1-1 draw, neither scored or assisted. Richarlison also ended up subbing on against none other than Adrisa Ganagay's Senegal at the end of last week in a 1-1 draw. Yeah, both players who actually will feature for Everton, I, I presume, this upcoming weekend. And, you know, we, Richarlison's had a slow-ish start to the season, so hopefully his time away with the Brazil team. I saw a magnificent little clip of him nutmegging Coutinho 
which was, uh, you know, just displays the quality that he has. And anyone featuring in the Brazil national team, and we know what Richarlison is all about. There's nothing that's going to really surprise us there. So, I mean, good to see him get minutes and good, even better to see him escape injury free as far as Alex Iwobi. Yeah, I know, we know that the number 10 has been his position for Nigeria. He's kind of yet to cement himself in that position for Everton. But I do think that, you know, despite Marco Silva seeming seeming refusal to move Gilfie from that spot, I think with the way things have been going, everyone's crying out for a fresh look. And I think Alex Iwobi certainly offers different aspects to his game than, than Gilfie does. Um, perhaps a little bit better of a dribbler. And, um, you know, I, I don't think Ilvi's been as bad as many people are making him out to have been, but um, it, it would be interesting just to see something different from Marco Silva because we know how the biggest, I think the biggest frustration that fans have with him, and we'll get into this after the international break, has been his refusal to kind of change things up. Yeah, it's hard to talk about him in isolation. You know what I mean? This is definitely part after the international break. I know we're going to talk about it, but. You know, Iwobi's a key factor. You know, maybe he he could make a difference. You know, we'll see what Marco decides to do. We'll see. All right. So moving on, Michael Keane started against the Czech Republic on Friday in which England lost 1-2. Apparently, I I did not catch the match, although I did hear that it was a pretty, pretty poor match for Michael Keane. Subsequently, he did not start today against Bulgaria, um, whereas while we're on the topic, Pickford did start both matches for England. Yeah, it's too bad to see Michael Keane kind of continue his poor run of form. Oftentimes you, you'd you hope that the international break can serve as a springboard for players to kind of turn things around and find their form, find their feet. Doesn't seem to have been the case for Michael Keane. We know that you know, Yerry Mina has gotten all the plaudits this season at center half for us. And to his credit, he's been excellent. Michael Keane has yet to rediscover the form that he found partnered alongside Kurt Zuma last season. And I think it's hard because we were all so blown away with the complete transformation of him last year and then to see him kind of revert to 2017 2018 Michael Keane a little bit in the start of the season is discouraging um but but you know there's still still very early on in the season we know that he has it in him to be a really really quality player despite the concerns you know with his pace I just think maybe the synergy between him and Yuri Mean is not that great and he seems kind of low on confidence at the moment you know it's hard to say that geez, we should have bought another center back because we spent a lot, um, you know, but I can't help but thinking maybe a break might do him good. Yeah, I, I, maybe maybe we got carried away with his performance last year. I mean, he was pretty good, but you can't fix everything, in, in even in two windows, uh, I think, looking at our situation. Um, you know, I've done a lot of research recently on Marcel and, and some of the turnover on his teams and it's amazing uh, how much turnover in some cases he's had. And it's been a little bit measured because he hasn't had some billionaire pocketbook to go crazy with. He, he has much more money at his disposal here, but we are up against it a little bit with financial fair play. I just, when I see this, I can't help but think almost all the guys that were playing from that 17-18 team, and I, and I did an article on Toppy Analysis about how bad that team really was. A lot of people say, well, they finished eighth, so... There's been no improvement. Marco's team the next year finished eighth. I mean, they had five better points. And the goals were almost 20 goals different. But, I mean, that team was not good. And we saw Keane play that year, and he was, you know, no confidence. And maybe part of it was his playing partner. But, God, you, you just can't help but think, like, eventually all these guys, Jank is another one, all these guys are going to be turned over. You know, it's, it's really been interesting, and I know it's been frustrating, but, you know, we are still a little bit in transition. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It, it's annoying to think because I feel like I've been saying that for five years now. But unfortunately, it just that's that's kind of how it goes. And I, I suppose we can talk about this a little bit more after the after we wrap up this international segment and move on to Marco Silva, because I think that's a big point in terms of squad turnover and, and how you set up. But nonetheless, moving on, um, luckily, just to mention Pickford real quick, he's still the cemented starter for England, which is clear. Um, I can't say that he's been in my opinion, overly fantastic this season, but I can't say that he's had any glaring issues either. Um, so it, I, I think that sometimes we really do as Everton fans take for granted the fact that we have Jordan Pickford in goal because it's been a good while since we have a key, have had a keeper that good in goal for us on a consistent basis. Yeah, I mean, Pickford's key. Pickford's a guy you never really have to worry too much about and there's really not too much that you have to say. Um, you know, it's it's been... Difficult all around for, I think, our defense as a unit this season. But you, like you said, Alex, you can't really point specifically at Jordan Pickford. 
mean, he may have had a couple errors. There was the error on the corner that we conceded. I can't even remember which match. I believe it was Bournemouth, um, the one that got caught in the sun. But other than that, you know, his distribution solid, and and he's the least of our worries at the moment. I, I let's just put it that way. Yeah, I mean, he's made individual errors too, though. I mean, I'm not saying he's you know this massive issue. And again, this is the emotional reaction that we always see on Twitter. You know, someone makes one mistake, they're terrible. Get rid of them. Uh, but yes, definitely after international break here, let's talk about that. I mean, are these a bunch of individual mistakes? How much is this Marco? Yep. And then speaking of uh, individual mistakes and, and kind of a, a spot in the hot seat, Seamus Coleman, the club captain, started against Georgia the other day for Ireland. Um, not much to say about that. However, he is on a red card. I'm sure you'll talk about it later, but he is on a red card. So therefore, we will absolutely barring some mind-blowing tactical changes that I could not even cook up right now, uh, we should see Sidibe starting it right back no, um, no, no, on no. Saturday. You, didn't you see the Twitter rumors there? Of course not. Oh, no, yeah, that we're not happy with Sidibe neither. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're going to send him back early on his loan, you know, because we've had so much reliable reporting about what our <laughs> management team is thinking or wants. That's true, that's true. I mean, if anyone really believes that at this point, I think he even tweeted that yesterday. <laughs> like, come on, people. Like, you I'm don't pretty, know what Brands is thinking. Stop it. I think Brands is thinking we should get Ghana back, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people are thinking that. They're, they're going back on all the things they said about him in the past. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's now. get into uh, the last couple bits here. Um, Moise Keen, our wonder kid from Italy, received a, what was, by all accounts, a very, very, very soft red card while on duty. It's garbage. Say it. It was complete. It was. Garbage. It was bad. It was a. It, but it's one of those. It, it, it was a red card against Ireland's U twenty ones. But it was a retaliatory pushback after someone was in his face, and he. It was a shove. But again, like the problem with refereeing that I have so often in those instances that they only punish the reaction. They don't punish the provocation, and that was clearly the case in that instance. And. Um, Later after the match, the Italy U21 coach Paolo Nicolato basically said that Moyes is still very much a kid and he's trying to figure out how to operate and how to conduct himself in this world of adults, in the world of grown playing football with grown men. And he can tell that his, you know, his heart's in the right place, but the maturity may, may not be there just yet. We haven't really seen enough of Moyes Keen on the pitch to kind of assess, I guess, his demeanor. But with a 19-year-old kid, those questions are inevitably going to arise where you're questioning, are they ready to compete regularly at this level and maintain the level of composure that's necessary? Because we saw that with a Richarlison a lot last season where a little hot-headed, a little bit too much flopping and writhing around on the ground and people got under his skin a little bit too easily. So I think those all those you know, cliches for young players still apply to Moise Keen and um, the hope is that with his time at Everton, he's able to to develop and mature and become the type of adult grown player that can then go on and, and you know, worry about all of the technical and um, tactical aspects of football and not so much uh, the mental aspect of it. My only issue with that take, though, is like everyone does passionate shove a guy thing every now and then. What we can see, though, is what he's done in the past on the field. And his maturity as a goal scorer is there. I, I think what really frustrates me is when I see people saying, oh, he's just a kid. He's unreliable. He's just a kid. Look, this is not just some normal 19-year-old kid. This kid is an absolute talent. And I don't understand why. I get it. He's young. I get it. He's 19. I, I get it. I mean, this kid has already been through plenty. You know what I mean? This, this kid is, for a 19-year-old, has shown that he can hang in Serie A. And I know everyone thinks that the Premier League is the greatest league on the planet. But let me tell you what, it ain't that easy to score in that league. He scored some at Verona and he scored at Juventus. And the other thing is a total myth that he was scoring being fed by Ronaldo. He didn't play a single minute of the pitch, I think, with Ronaldo on the on the pitch. He was the one up there scoring. And, and it just drives me crazy because we, we invest this much in a guy and everyone's like, oh, it's in. You do not pay 27 million pounds for just potential. You're paying for a guy that can also play right now. And I just, I wish Marco would play him more than bring him off the bench when we need a goal. I mean, he's played less than 300 minutes for heaven's sakes. And and unfortunately, people are out there saying he's not got it or something. Are you kidding me? Or, oh, he's just immature. He's not ready. You know what? No one's scoring. Why are we picking on him? 
it's unfortunate. I, I just think maybe he's frustrated, maybe he's not. But a shove, I don't know. It's, I, I just think that's a lazy near. I think it's too easy to say that. I want to see him on the pitch, frankly. I think that's my thing. I, I know he's a special player. I want to see him play. And then when he starts banging a couple in, no one's going to sit there and say he's too young. And I think he will. That's just, I like to see. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, you look at the, the very lazy comparison of Romelu Lukaku. He was scoring plenty of goals at 19 years old. Yeah. Um, my, only, my only point to the maturity aspect is like, if I think back to when I was 19 years old, if I was legitimately all over the internet, all over the world, all over social media, because I was scoring goals for Juventus a season ago, I'm not going to lie. I don't know that I would have, you know, a very small head about it. You know what I mean? Like you would have to just be very hyped up. And so my only point is that you're going to be somewhat conceited. You know, you're, you're going to be seeing all of this brand new, these, these cars, this jewelry, all the stuff that you can buy with all of your ridiculous money. And so it's just about the club, actually, really, the people that he's surrounded by and, and keeping him level-headed and, and hoping that he stays hungry and that sort of thing, which I think he will. So um, it, it, on an emotional level, absolutely. I mean, you could you could argue that you know someone mid-20s as, as James and I may not be 100% emotionally uh, mature yet, depending on who you talk to. So anyway, nonetheless... Let's move on to Luca Dean. So Luca Dean started for France against Gilfie Sigurdsson's Iceland. Um, he won man of the match according to many French outlets, uh, which is very nice because he's one of the one of the players that somehow missed out on the uh, 2018 World Cup winning squad, which is really unfortunate. But it's good to see him back in the France squad playing a lot of international minutes over the yeah, last I, good few months. Yeah, that is good. He hasn't been as good, I, th- I think, the last couple of matches. And I know he got a knock. Was it against Bournemouth? And I, I, I was a little concerned there. It's really nice to see him go and, and play as much as he, he has. Yeah, been alongside Jordan well. Pickford. I mean, Luca Dean, the least of our problems at the moment. I agree. His his performances have you know stalled, so to speak. But I think that's more of a function of the overall team performance than anything else. Um, I'd say he's probably alongside Pickford, the first name, first two names on the team sheet every week. I'll absolute lock. And I have no concerns that he'll come back and be able to turn things around because even from left back, I mean, he's one of our best offensive threats, which you could say is uh, good. You could say is a testament to how poor offensively the rest of the squad is. But yeah, no worries about Luca Dean. Looking forward to seeing him return injury-free back to Finch Farm and getting on with business. So Gilfie Sigurdsson, I believe, did play against France. And then he also played against Andorra. In, in Iceland's 2-0 win against Andorra. Unfortunately, he stepped up to take a penalty, and it was saved. So Gilfie Sigurdsson was not on the score sheet this international break for Iceland. I haven't seen the penalty. I haven't seen, seen the, the footage, but I've heard that it was it. you know fairly well you know? taken. It was actually a, a pretty solid save from the keeper. So you know it's hard, it's hard to, to fault a player when a keeper makes a save. A, a good save, right? Yeah, what is he? Yeah, he's what, like 26 out of... 33, I think, in his 27 out of 33 in his career, I think. So it's just a shame he's <laughs> he missed a couple with us. But, I, you know, it's hard, too, because Evertonians, you know, you remember Leighton Baines, and it, it was so automatic. I mean, he's like 26 to 29. He's one of the best. I mean, maybe the best in Premier League, uh, percentage-wise, of anyone over X amount. I mean, it's unbelievable. So, you know, it is what it is. I, he's played striker in the first match, too. And, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, you know, I think we can move on to Marco here. He's I mean, Gilfie's not been great. I mean, it's hard to argue. I mean, he's not been horrendous necessarily, but is he's not getting the service? Is that Gilfie's fault? Is he, you know, is this is an individual issue here? Is it, I don't know, guys. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of questions that we need to ask, and Marco's definitely on the hot seat. Yeah, and that segues really nicely into the, the second part of our first segment where we're just kind of going to have a bit of a reflection on the start of the season. And, you know, there's been a lot that's gone wrong, obviously, but the the eye test, so to speak, doesn't really tell the full story, right, Ryan? Like, I, I saw a chart today that on expected points, we would be fifth if things, if we had performed the way the statistics say that we should perform. And it's just, and this bears out, you know, the eye test can, can tell you this as well. Like, we've been very unlucky. We've dominated possession. We've dominated shots in large part for most of our games. And the finishing has let us down. And you know, individual defensive lapses have let us down in a lot of cases. But I think where the frustration comes in is like, yeah, we we theoretically could be fifth based on analytics, but based on the opposition we played, the weakest of any side in the Premier League, fifth is probably a decent jumping off point before we get into the really tough part of our schedule. So 
you know, we, we've definitely underachieved. There's no question about it, but, and we've had time to reflect and it's easy to knee jerk after painful losses and say that Marco Silva's time is up. And I think there's many Evertonians who are in that camp upon having some time away from the madness that is Everton Twitter and having to watch Everton on a consistent basis. It kind of gives you some perspective. And I do think Marco Silva deserves a little bit more time to, to write the ship. And it seems like the board and Marcel Brands even kind of agree with that sentiment. So my take when I watch it, and I'm I'm very interested here. I know we've had we've talked a lot, guys. We we interact. Um, it's hard to tell. I mean, so I, I'm pretty confident that Marco is a good defensive coach, certainly in, in open play. That 17-18 was was the worst team in the league in open play. I think we conceded 46 goals, and Marco basically his team cut it in half with a Zuma keen partnership that. I don't know how good that partnership really, really was. I mean, if you ask anyone, both those, I mean, Zumba looks terrible at Chelsea. Is that fair? No, it's probably fair. But um, so that doesn't concern me as much. And then I look at some of the individual mistakes. I think of, I think of Aston Villa. I, I thought our first 20 minutes there was as good as we've looked all year, man. We were on it. We were all over. We were pressing high. We were playing fast. We showed tempo. And Gomes lets them make a quick play on a pass that they do all the time. I mean, I, I think we actually talked about the prep for that match. And it's the one thing you couldn't do. Gilfie was yelling at him to step in front of the ball, step in front of the ball. And one thing, and bang, it was in the back of the net. You know, I, I think of in Bournemouth, the second half against Bournemouth, we came out unbelievably well. We were all over him. We should have scored um, 20, 25 minutes in. What happens? They get one free kick off kind of a dumb foul and Delph knocks it in our own net. Sheffield, the corner. I mean, first of all, Pickford got nailed. I, I cannot believe you go to VAR and you don't call a foul on that. That was very frustrating. And literally, the second goal, I don't know what Pickford was doing. He just sat back. Uh, there was a total gap and a mistake. So how much is that Marco? I, I don't know if the goal is against necessarily Marco, although the set piece, what, they have got to get it fixed. It's so frustrating. I mean, you see, you see the last goal that we conceded against Burnley, and yeah, it's a box out on a zonal and played around the back corner. It was pretty well executed, but geez, fight through that. You can't let Wood take out like two guys, fight through it. But I do think the defense will be fine. But the attacking, I don't know what to say. I mean, yes, Alex Wobe missed one on this. Yes, we've missed some opportunities, but we're not creating as many chances. That that would be my critique of Marco. Uh, so I was watching, not to get into potential replacement managers, it just is coincidence. But I was watching Frankfurt play um, yesterday. You know, I have my DVRs filled with all these Bundesliga and Ligoon matches because that's what I do when I'm not parenting. Uh, <laughs> And I watched how dynamic the attack was um, and how many people were coming back to the ball and just the passing depth. And, you know, I know Marco tends to favor a more Brazilian style attack. And I mean, forwards behave a little differently. You don't see him working in tandem like historically you would see in England. You know, they're running away from the ball. And I see a lot of that. But there is something wrong with our attack. I mean, you see when we build up. Great. We have 60 percent possession. The second the ball goes to our wingback or our fullback, what happens? Everyone knows what's happening. It's stagnant. It's stale. Gilfie's not coming back. They're not passing options. Even when we do get a break and we cross, and we cross all the time. So does Man City and so does Liverpool, incidentally. Both those teams were one and two in crosses in the league last year by a mile. It's a different cross. Where are the options? Dominic Calvert-Lewin's movement is terrible. I'm sorry, it is. No one's going to the near post. No one's going to the far post. No one's setting up on top of the 18th. Maybe we'll get one out of these three common positions there, and the crosses are just not effective. I mean, if there is a critique on Marco, what we need to see, and and frankly, Seamus got a red card in the last match, so I did see a little bit of a change in terms of attack in the first 10 minutes. It was only 10 minutes. So I'm still hopeful that Marco can turn it around, but he has got to change the way we attack. I mean, just even the tempo would be better. You know what I mean? I, I just, I'm not seeing movement. I'm not seeing tempo. I'm not seeing initiative. I'm not seeing like the the guys really know and are confident with how to attack and tear apart these teams. And at this point, if it's not Marco, you got to sit Gilfy. He's not effective right now. Wobi should be in there. And I still want to see Moise Keane up top just for the movement's sake. I I don't know what you guys are thinking. And that was long-winded, but that's a fair critique. You know what I mean? It's a fair critique. I think he's a sound defensive coach. If you're going to concede on set pieces, you have to score goals. And I don't see where they're coming from next. I don't. I wholeheartedly agree with pretty much all your points. I mean, that's the crazy part, right? Like in open play, we've been immaculate in terms of goals conceded. And that that spans back all the way through last season. It was set pieces that were an issue. Yeah, exactly. Right. And same, really, honestly, same thing for the most part this season as well. 
Um, really, my stance on Marco Silva, to be honest, is really kind of black and white. It's it's very simple. I, I stand in the minority, but in my opinion, I think Marcos should at least stay till the end of the year. And that is because we haven't kept a manager for longer than 18 months, which is where he's at right now, since Martinez. And if you want continuous churn on players and, and philosophies and just the endless struggle, then we're then sure, let's just continue tur- turning over managers. But if you really want change, then you're going to have to stick it out at some point. I'm not saying Marco's the long-term answer. I'm not saying I want him past the summer, but in my opinion, and I might be met with some laughs because of maybe one or two big names, but in my opinion, if you're looking for a manager, a long-term manager, then then how many of them, how many really good ones that are going to bring Everton to the top six, top four, are going to be available in January? As far as Ryan, you know, talking about the attack, I agree. It is incredibly stagnant. Like it's it's pass back and forth between our center backs and wing backs in our own half, advance over midfield, and then completely isolate onto one side work the ball down that flank and try to get a cross in. There's no thought to like engage the midfield when we're in the opposition half. They're completely taken out of the game. And I guess you can jock that up a little bit to opposition's tactical setup, which is they know what we're going to do. And frankly, I think they're just willing to let us do it because we've been so ineffective. Um, and, and they've been proven right for the most part. And, you know, you don't really see, you know, so Sigurdsson has been poor, but he also hasn't been as involved as he probably should be as a number 10, whether you, again, is that his fault? Is that because he's not getting the service? Is that because the defense is focusing on taking him out of the game because he is our you know, talisman, so to speak, that can unlock things for us. But then to Alex's point about you know the managerial change, and while I do agree somewhat that Marco needs to be given time, there's also, it's also worth considering this little uh, logic, logical fallacy called the sunk cost fallacy, which this might come off as, you know, if you don't know what it is, it's essentially, you know, you're reading a book, you decide 50 pages in that you don't like the book, but you've already made the commitment to read the book. So you're going to pursue finishing the book, even though you know you hate it. And it really doesn't make any sense because every second you waste reading that book, you could be reading a different book that maybe you like a lot more. I think that applies a lot to managers or at least the, the theory of it applies to the conversation of making a managerial change because I'm not totally sure if I don't like Marco Silva. I don't hate Marco Silva. I certainly don't love him at the moment, but I can't decide if it's really just time to put him on a shelf and never come back and, and visit him again because I think there are aspects that he does brings and makes us better as a team. Like you guys said, open play defensively, we're pretty rock solid. But it's the same. It's the same one note over and over again on offense, and it becomes very tiresome to watch yeah. week in week. Yeah, that's what's the frustrating part about it. Some that seems so fundamental. I mean, it's almost like we're allergic to moving the ball, you know, in kind of that danger area, the pep zone fourteen, whatever you want to call it, at the top of the eighteen. It's just always funneled out to the outside. Um, you see, teams are ready for it. I, I just, you know, I remember when we were playing Man City. You know, you watch Pep and how how many decisions he makes or forces the fullback or the center backs to make when they're it's constant, you know, he's constant running people in and out of the channel, uh, the channels, you know what I mean? How well his team plays in the half space, you know? And uh, I just, I'm just not seeing that. But then the question is, you know, will a new manager bring it? I mean, is it peep is it personnel? I, I, I don't think so. I think some of these guys are pretty good attacking players. You know, how I feel about Keen. I feel very good about him too, but even a Wobi, you know, I mean, putting him in maybe at that 10, is it the formation? This one, Drives me bonkers a little bit. I mean, first of all, he's missing two midfielders too. That's important. I mean, I I, I bag on Andre Gush more than anyone because everyone loves him because he's so stylistically beautiful to watch. He's not as effective as people think he is. But I mean, JPG, we're missing him too. I mean, he was the Ghana replacement. That's another thing. I swear to God, if I see another person say Delph was the replacement or something, I mean, he literally said that verbatim. So you know, JPG was going to be counted on to be that guy in the six, you know, slot. So. That's part of it, uh, but I mean, some of this stuff seems so fundamental. I mean, is can Marco really be that dense from an attacking manager? I just, but it's so night and day. You see other teams move with movement, you know, and I, I who could we get? I mean, that's a good question too. There's a slew of managers out there, and I don't want to talk about the big guys like Ryan. Benitez and Mourinho. I, I just, I'm tired of that conversation. Yeah, no, I mean, you know what I mean? It, we've heard this. I mean, enough. 
Um, so one thing I do think is important, though, uh, is thinking about kind of Marcel Brand. He is technically our director of football, and this is his gig, right? I mean, he's got to make the decision whether he wants to keep Marco. Uh, he does like Marco. I think that that was said. I know a lot of people have said that he was not his choice. Uh, maybe he wasn't his first choice, but he has been complimentary. Uh, maybe that's just lip service. He, he thinks Marco's the type of player that can make younger players better. That that's, And Marcel clearly is going to have a longer-term viewpoint than probably we will because i think we're all and i don't want to speak for all you guys but we're we're all pretty frustrated right now that we're not showing better results even if i don't think we look that awful you know am i wrong i mean we don't look that bad but not much is happening so um you know assuming marcel has the long the long view there was so there was an article out in the echo um i think it was yesterday i don't know if you guys read it when it talks yeah, about I read, it. I read most um, of it Marcel being in trouble. Did any of you guys catch that one at all? Yeah, it's interesting. So I kind of went back and I thought, you know, let's look at what Marcel Brands has done in his history and in terms of successes and his managers. And and it was pretty interesting. So at AK, um, they had come off actually a very good season when he took over. People kind of thought that Marcel did all this by himself. He really didn't. They, they were in third place actually before he came um, and were already in Europe. Um, so Louis van Gaal was, was their manager and he was the manager almost throughout his whole tenure. And even there was a blip too, like they finished second, third. And then there was this blip where they finished 11, um, and got knocked out in the cup in the second round. You know, they were in the final of the year before and they didn't get out of the group in UEFA. It was UEFA then. Um, and they spent a lot of money, um, and made a lot of changes. So Marcel stuck around for one more year and the next year they won the league. You know what I mean? went to the quarters. They were in the Champions League next year. So, you know, I, I think Marcel's going to be a little bit patient. But ironically, uh, when Louis van Gaal left during Marcel's last season, sure enough, Ronald Koeman became the, the manager. And you know how long Ronald lasted? He was fired in December. So, <laughs> right, they had a temporary caretaker manager and Dick Advocat took over after that. And what happened? Dick came back in at PSV at one point for him too. It's fascinating. So um, if you look at what he did in PSV, he came in and there was already a manager there, Fred Rutten. And I, I don't know that much about him. Um, but, you know, I, the sentiment as to what Brands was bringing in, PSV was tired of, of not winning the league. You know, it had been, been a long time. And um, so they came in, uh, finished third under Fred. You know, they went to went out in the quarters in Europa. Wasn't too bad. And then the uh, next year, they finished in third. But Fred was gone in March. Uh, there was a lot of pressure on him. He wasn't doing as well as they wanted. Uh, and Philip Koku came in and they finished off strong and they won the cup that year. Uh, and Philip Koku was just a caretaker. Dick Advocate came in again the next year and they finished second and made it the finals of the cup. And then the next year, Philip Koku came in and they finished fourth and people were not happy with brands. And that's what the article talks about, right? But he stuck with Philip Koku. And what happened the next year? They won the league and then they won the league the next year too. And the year, I mean, they went to the round of 16 in the Champions League. I think it was the first time a Dutch team had made it to the round of 16 or got out of the group in the Champions League in like a decade. And he stuck with Philip Koku all the way now. And and what is Philip Koku doing right now? He's managing a derby and they're not doing real well. So I don't know, man. But it does seem like if we look at that real quick, I know that was a little bit lengthy. But when we look at it, it seems like even under pressure, Marcel seems like he kind of has has his guy and he believes in him. Now, he didn't pick Marco, though. So, I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, do we think Marco's his guy? I mean, do, do we think a new manager, say, in January would really give us a bump? I mean, Marco's resume is good, but there are some guys out there that might be available that maybe have better resumes. And I'm not talking about the guys I mentioned before. I'm talking about the, the audience or, or the um, – or Gallardo is a great example at River Plate, although I'm a little bitter because he played for DC United and he was always hurt. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, what do you guys think? I, I just – I see individual mistakes – and I see Marco being sound, and then I see the attack, and, and, and then I'm looking at Marcel, and I think he's got a longer view. But, I mean, I guess there's what would you do, and what do we think Marcel's going to do? I think Marcel's going to stick with him for a little bit, but, you know, this is a different board and a different different mechanism. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. What do you guys think? For me, I think the, the conversation surrounding managerial changes just lacks so much context when you're talking about, okay, we're looking – in the end, it's all about results. And if you're not getting results, you're not going to last very long in your job. But it goes beyond that. And it goes into things similar to Marcel Brands' dealings in the transfer market, where we just have little to no insight whatsoever into what's going on. Are the players still behind him based on the, the work rate and the performances I see on the pitch? Again, the results aren't there. But to me, it doesn't seem like he's lost the players. And that's a bit of a cliche thing to say. But it seems like they're they're professionals and they're still doing their job and there's no 
not, not too much like blatant, just lack of, of execution. I think there's, and then, you know, the training, all of these, the, the conversations, the ongoing relationship that the two have that goes on largely behind closed doors that we have no idea what they're talking about on a day-to-day basis. A lot of that probably goes beyond just the training and into the long-term plans for the club transfers for this upcoming January. I'm sure that we're already talking extensively about that. And if Marcel Brands has confidence that Silva can write this short-term kind of train wreck, let's call it what it is, it hasn't been good at all, then I think he sticks with him. And if we're sitting in the relegation zone in two or three weeks, the pressure and the heat is going to be ramped way the heck up. But I do think that Marcel Brands is a guy who's cool under pressure and he's not going to flinch and he's not going to make a knee-jerk reactionary decision like many of our fans would have after one loss and just say, okay, that's it, you're done. Um, the, the Seamus Coleman actually came out well on international duty. He was asked about the rumors floating around that Marco Silva has been given three games to save his job. And he said, that's just paper talk. And I agree. So much of, of what we do, what we talk about is driven by rampant speculation and outright twistings of little tidbits that ITKs in the nose get here or there. And I just think you have to look at it at, at a bird's eye view and also note that we just don't really have any clue as much as we wish or hope or think we do about what's going on. And so, you know, long-term is Marco Silva, who would Marcel Brands envisions at the head of Everton in three or four years when Bramley Moore were opening the doors. I think as of the beginning of the season, yes. As of now, I think he's probably questioning that, but I don't think that he's one that's going to break. And like I said, do something reactionary that's going to set us back long-term to, to get some short-term, quote-unquote, new manager bounce um, for the upcoming fixture. Yeah, I agree with that. Here's the question, though. What do we want to see? Let's say let's say this is true. I am this is speculative. He's got three. What would we want in those three games? Without being too, yes, we want to see results. That, that's easy. Um, but what do we want to see out of the team? If, he's, if he actually wants to get off the hot seat, because unfortunately, paper talk and, and media and social media affects players, Nowadays, like it's just impossible not to. They all have they all have smartphones. They have accounts. You know, they see these things. I think it's going to take two wins out of the next three, really, to get them boosted. Uh, James has mentioned it. We're really two wins off of being kind of back in in the mix of things because we've we're only eight matches in. So for me, it's going to be two wins, even even a loss for the third. It doesn't matter. It just we've got to start pull, pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps and winning matches. It doesn't matter how. It doesn't matter who scores. That's just what it's going to take for me. So your results, Alex. You're like, hey, look, you know, it's we we got we got to do it. Yes, I mean, it, it's going to have to be that way, unfortunately. Um, although I, I do think I'm sort of I in the same camp as Alex. He's going to have like, at least three matches. We need points. That, 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 we're in the relegation different. zone. Like fans are going to be pissed and all up in a tizzy as long as we're sitting below 15th. Even if we're if we're not in the top half, no one's going to be happy based on the expectations that were set preseason. But what I would like to see from Marco Silva is just. Something different, and that's vague. But what I mean is, like, drop Gilfie and put Awobi in, or start Moiskeen for a couple games and see what we get. Just try something different. And I mean, drop Morgan Schneiderlin and play Tom Davis is also another kind of layup um, for me. If you have Delph alongside him, a more defensively minded player, I think the midfield is due for kind of a shakeup. I, you know, it's a, it's a, you have to win week in, week out, and so I can understand. I think Morgan Schneiderlin serves a little bit as like a safety blanket when Marco Silva doesn't think he has um, really any other options and doesn't want us to just ship goals left and right. But I just need to see a willingness to change, a willingness to adapt, because I think above all else, the results have been poor. But what people are frustrated with is just seeing us do the exact same things again and again, tactically on the offensive end, and it fails miserably consistently. And there doesn't seem to be any kind of plan B other than to throw every attacking player we have on the pitch in the last 20 minutes and hope to just by sheer number, like just barge, barge the goals in somehow. So that's, that's what I'm looking for. I just want to see something, a switch that, and and it could be something very minor, but I think just getting us out of the funk that we're in is going to take a little bit of, he's going to have to take us in a little bit of a different direction. That's where I'm at too. You know, the thing is I I can point out expected points till the, day we you know what i mean i can be all scientific and look at my stats and be analytical because i enjoy that but you know look i i I am first and foremost someone who loves watching i can see what's happening we want to see something different you know but i i I gotta admit i don't think alex is wrong i mean if we don't get some serious points these next three games 
Um, yes, I think seeing something different is if we saw something different, at least in attack, even a formational difference, or at least the way we attack differently and the results, I'd feel fantastic. But, uh, you know, you do kind of wonder, is he out of, out of ideas? That's a terrible thing to say about a manager, but if he looks like he's out of ideas and we drop a bunch of points in the next three, I could see it happening. And look, I, I, I don't think losing the manager is the absolute worst thing that could ever happen. Uh, but boy, it would be disappointing. You know, you have a lot of Brazilian players, a lot of factors in there. You know, it's this kind of unique guy. Richarlison obviously feels a certain way about him, things like that. But you know what, Alex, I think you're right. Um, so we're going to take a quick break here. And after that, you can catch me with Tony from the West Hamway USA pod previewing our match, must win match on Saturday. And welcome to another episode of the West Ham Way USA podcast. I'm your co-host, Tony. And on the other side, we actually have a different guest today. It is not Brawley from St. Louis. We have James from the American Toffee podcast located in Maine. What's up, James? Thank you for coming on. What's up, Tony? How you doing, man? Thanks for having me. Uh, excited to uh, Excited to talk a little preview. So, we have James on because we play Everton this weekend at 7.30 Eastern. That is the 12.30 lunchtime kickoff in England, and it is live on NBCSN. So, James, since we have you, what is your normal game day routine? Are you a stay-at-home-and-watch-in-bed kind of guy, uh, go to the local pub? What's your plans? Yeah, so for me, uh, you know, A, being an Everton fan, which is niche enough in itself, and then also (laughs) being in Maine – um, you know, I don't have any hard facts or stats to back this up, but I suspect I'm probably one of the only Everton fans in Maine. As a result of that, my general game day routine is to wake up about 90 minutes before kickoff, browse Twitter, mm. wait for the lineups to drop, and then enjoy the game uh, in solitude for the most part, which based on our results this season, uh, I'm, I'm pretty glad that that's the way it usually plays out. I know, looking a little rough. I had I forget where I had you guys in our table, but currently 18th uh, with seven points, two wins, and five losses. What's going on down there, man? It's It's been tough, Tony. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, Everton fans, I think, across the board, we're hoping this would be the season based on our transfer market activity in the summer and the way that we finished last season with some big wins. Thought that that would carry over into this season and that we could push for the top six. That obviously hasn't happened We had a very, very favorable schedule to start the season. The only top six team we've played have been Manchester City. We've played two of the three newly promoted sides and managed to lose to both of them. Um, It's been tough, and I can go into the reasons for it, but largely just down to individual errors and general ineptitude going forward. So let's see. Marco Silva is the manager, am I right? That's correct. Yeah, so how how are you feeling about him? How how do – well – Two questions, I guess I should say. How do you feel about him, and how does Everton fan base as a whole feel about Marco Silva right now? Right now, based on the start to the season, the general consensus amongst the fan base is, I think, pretty much leaning towards Silva out. Um, for me, I still think that you know because the the errors that we've seen have been mostly individual. I think it's hard. You know, it's it's a game of such fine margins, right? Like an, a, yeah. a game or a goal can shift things dramatically. And it's still very early. Like we are in 18th, but we're six points away from being right back in the mix for the top half. Oh, so I think it's a, it's a little preemptive to try to talk about sacking him. But it's been bad. And it's been really stagnant, which I think is what's gotten most fans the most frustrated, where you just see the same things fail week in, week out. And there hasn't been much of a push to switch things up and maybe try something different. I'm very, I'm very, very nervous for this game this, to play you guys this weekend because we were three points away. If we would have beat Palace at home, and I was at the game by the way last uh, two weeks ago against Palace, if we would have beat Palace, we would have been on 15 points, sitting tied with Arsenal for third. Instead, we took a loss to Crystal Palace. They jump us, and now we're in eighth. And to be fair, if you guys beat us this weekend, you're only two points off. Of us. So everybody's still right in the mix. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, it's it's way too early. We're seven games in like three to six points right now is absolutely massive, can jump you 10 spots in the table. Right. So I agree this game. It's always West Ham. Everton tends to be a bit of a uh, a trap game for both teams. I think we both probably go in expecting to beat the other one, but it's it's been relatively even for most of the time that I've supported Everton. Absolutely. So just to, for all of our listeners on both sides here, Everton won the last one on March 30th uh, this previous year, and then West Ham won 3-1, West Ham won 3-1, and then Everton won 4-0, and then a draw. So it's been fairly even the last five matches. Yeah, it has, and, and I think you see that based on where both teams end up finishing, and I think we're, we're competing for the same spots in the table, though the table may not reflect that right now. So um, this is these fixtures are huge. When you're beating the teams that are right around you in the table, those are valuable, valuable, valuable points for sure. Absolutely, and I do have to bring up here, because I did on the last time I was on your podcast, <laughs> and all of our listeners, I feel like I bring up every podcast, even if it's not Everton. Everton away was the best day of my life. That's all. I just had to get it out of the way now. <laughs> Have have you gotten a, have you gotten a chance to get to Goodison before? I haven't yet, unfortunately. And with the talks of the new stadium being built within the next probably four or five years, uh, it's becoming a really pressing matter to get over there. I think Alex, my co-host, and I are trying to plan a trip. Ooh. If not next spring, then probably the following fall because we're desperate to get over there. Um, you know, you hear so many good things about Goodison Park and what the atmosphere is like. So it's it's one thing to watch it on TV, and even from there, you get a sense of you know the the magnitude and the atmosphere but there's nothing quite like when you're just sitting in the stadium so i am patiently awaiting the day that i can finally make my pilgrimage I will say it was a really, really cool ground, and and not even because of you're on the podcast, but that was one of my favorite grounds, obviously, because of the game. But also, it was really interesting to see the old-style stadium. But I will tell you what, because that's what really cemented uh, for me getting into West Ham, is I had to really go um, to see the bowling ground before they knocked that down, and we moved to the London Stadium. And I only had I had three years to start planning a trip, so I think you got, what, three or four years to start planning a trip for yourself as well. Yeah, and I, I we're kind of in the works right now. There's uh, The Everton USA fan group does a spring break trip Ooh. every uh, March, and so we're debating on whether or not we want to go with that group or if we want to kind of do our own thing. But regardless, I, I really it's like my number one vacation destination. And people ask me, like, oh, if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go? And I'm like, Liverpool, England. And they're like, what? <laughs> you know, of anywhere. But they just they just don't really understand. I, I, I completely understand. I've been asked multiple times of where, where do you want to go? And I, my next trip, I want to go to France. I want to go to Spain. But I'll tell you what. It's always when I go to book a flight, somehow, some way, I don't go to any other country <laughs> other than England. So. Um, Yeah, so let's keep it moving. So anyway, who should West Ham, because we're going to record for both here, who who should we look out for in the Everton side? Because you guys have been struggling, and I'm sure you're probably rotating some of the side. Who who should West Ham fans look out for this weekend? So I think the first name that jumps out is Richarlison, um, a really young and promising Brazilian who has cemented his place in the Brazil national team. He's had a bit of a slow start to the season, but he's probably our most dynamic and uh, technically, maybe not technically gifted, but his physical attributes and his pace are enough to, and he's just kind of has a knack for popping in at the exact right place at the right time and scoring goals. A player that can play across the front three, he functions best on the left, but based on the personnel we have at our disposal, he's operated mostly on the right-hand side for the last, since, since probably a about last spring until now, he's kind of been shoehorned into that right wing role. And then in addition to that, I think you have to look out for Luca Dean at left back. Um, he's a player that gets forward really well and knows how to put in a cross and is also excellent at free kicks. So he's a player that even though he's on defense can really change the game on the offensive end as well. Absolutely. So I got to pose the question to you then, because I feel like when I was on your podcast last year, we were had this discussion between Felipe Anderson and Richarlison. Would you still uh, stick with Richarlison or would you switch it up for Felipe Anderson? I can't go against my boy, Richie. You know that. But I really do admire Felipe Anderson. I think, you know, based on age, Richarlison is still only 21. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's, you know, younger. But I mean, 
Anderson is an excellent player, and you guys have assembled quite a squad. Um, I'm, I'm really happy to see Yarmolenko return from that really brutal injury that he had last season because I don't know if you know this, but there were there were probably two or three seasons in a row before he moved to you guys that he was linked with us. Um, and I was, you know, you watch the highlight videos and he has that flair about him. And uh, I was kind of ho- always kind of hoping we could get the deal across the line and see him in a blue shirt. But it's it's nice to see that he actually looks like he's got three goals for you guys already this year. Yeah, he's doing extremely well. He's he's one of those players, or, or at least in my opinion so far this season, that he, he, he hasn't really looked too good. And then all of a sudden, like, he's played solid. He wasn't the best or the worst. He's played solid. But then, bam, comes out of nowhere and, and smashes in a goal just as someone's about to say, man, we should, he should be the first one to go off. So uh, it's been really nice to see him play, uh, play very well and score some goals. Uh, my next question for you about Everton would be uh, Dominic, uh, Dominic uh, Cal- Calvert-Lewin. Yeah. What are your thoughts on him? Because he's super young as well, right? Yeah, he's only 22 years old. It may not seen that way. He's been in and around our first team for the last three seasons. Um, he's a bit of a tough one because we actually, I don't know if you know this, but we signed Moise Keane from Juventus in the yeah. summer. Um, and people were kind of assuming that when we paid what 27 million for him, that he would be the go-to guy. But mm-hmm. Calvert-Lewin has made things difficult for Silva because he scored three goals in his last five matches or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, that was kind of the, always the biggest criticism of Calvert-Lewin because he's a big body. He's got great pace. He holds the ball up really well. is great in the air, but the goal scoring consistency just hasn't been there for him. And so now that that's starting to come around, I think fans um, are, are willing to give him a bit of a longer leash as far as his tenure up top. But if not Calvert-Lewin, then Moise Keane is a player that if he starts can – we haven't seen it quite yet because he's 19 and still adapting to the league – but just based on the promise and potentially showed at Juve is the player I think most Evertonians are are really excited about because we've struggled for so long to score goals after losing Romelu Lukaku to United. I mean, I mean, I just think it's crazy how young your attacking force is, and and I think that's kind of the opposite of what we have going on, because uh, Richarlison says here's 22, uh, DCL is 22, Alex Iwobi is 22, and Keane is what 19. So, yeah. I mean, I thought a lot for Alex Iwobi, but here he is scoring two goals for you so far. So, uh, I, you guys have a really young team. I mean, if you look at our side, you have Sebastian Allaire, who's, I believe, 27. You have Antonio, who's injured going up in age. Uh, Yarmolenko's up in age. Anderson is about in his prime doing well. Lanzini, I believe, is 28 or 29 as well. So our, our our team is up in that prime area, and it is time for us to really start getting some results as well. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think you know teams that are older tend to be, I think, more consistent, more established. And actually, that's a really good point because I think that's something that Evertonians tend to overlook is the overall youth in our squad. We've dropped a lot of years off the average age since – the arrival of Marcel Brands last summer, our new director of football, uh, who arrived from PSV. And it takes time for young players to A, adapt to the league and B, adapt to each other and just mature as players. So when you look at a squad that has more established, I mean, Aller has been – it was a huge signing for you guys, right? Like that that's oh, a game absolutely. changer. He, he, was, he was the replacement for Marco Anatovic. Yeah. And so, I mean, just the fact that you guys have those established pros, I think – makes it a bit easier to get through those tough times. I think they, they may be a bit more mentally resilient. Um, and this squad has a lot of growing room, which I think, you know, bodes well for the future. But in the now, you know, fans can be so reactionary. And it's hard not to be when you're watching your team just struggle and slog through games week in, week out. But um, I think that, that that age difference actually may play a bigger role than people think. Yeah. I mean, and I'm looking at your fixtures coming up, and I think you at least have a fairly decent run. You you play against us, then you have Brighton. But one of the big things is to, I don't want to say dismiss, but you're in the round of 16 of the Football League Cup. Yeah, and the Cup is huge, huge, huge for Everton because it's been so long since fans have had silverware. I mean, the fans who are obviously lifelong grew up in Liverpool, they're fans that are my age that have 
barely remember us reaching cup finals and we haven't won anything since 1995. So, um, the, the cup runs are huge. Like I think a lot of fans at this point would sacrifice an 11th place finish if it meant reaching a cup final or winning some silverware, even if it's the league cup and we've struggled, we've been really bad. We went out to Millwall last season. I mean, we tend to play down to our opposition in cup competitions, which make makes things difficult for us. And I know that you guys had a bit of a, a trip up, so to speak, in the cup uh, the other week. Yeah, I, I mean, we got – I wouldn't say trip. I would say an absolute mauling by Oxford United 4-0. It wasn't, wasn't too good for us. And, and, and that's what happened last season. We actually went out to Wimbledon as well. So for, for us lately, we've been on these up-and-down runs where – we went unbeaten, let's see, in the league. A draw against Bournemouth, beat Man United, draw against Villa, beat Narge, uh, beat Watford, and Drew Brighton. I mean, we were almost like five or six unbeaten there and then dropped the ball at home to Palace up 1-0, which was absolutely gutting. So who knows what West Ham side is going to show up this weekend? Yeah, the Palace ones. Palace are having a really, really good season, and people were really quick to write them off. Um, we had, of course... I don't know if you followed the Wilfred Zaha transfer, quote unquote, saga towards the end of the window, but Definitely he was a linked. Saga. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Linked with us. We were really excited to have him, and people were saying, you know, Palace will go down without him. And they kept him, and they're performing really well. And I think, you know, Roy Hodgson doesn't really get the credit he deserves for what he's been able to do with that side. I, I had them going down in our preseason preview. Uh, one, because I just can't stand Palace. Um, <laughs> I I, 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 just, I just really can't. Um, I don't like their fans. I think their Palace Ultra is a bunch of dickheads that are like fifteen year old <laughs> kids. Um, but but beyond beyond that point, I just I don't really think they're that good of a side. And then all of a sudden, here they are, beat us and just jump us in the table. But like you said, at the same time, trying to be positive about it, one win can drop take you up into the top four, and one loss can put you down to number fourteen. Right. It's just such fine margins. And that's the thing, like people calling to sack the manager for Everton. It's just like give it 10, 12 games and see how the table really starts to take shape, because who knows? Like form is so temporary unless you're a team that's like Liverpool or City and even City have had their struggles. this. Everyone's struggling this season, like Arsenal have struggled. Chelsea have struggled. Man United struggling a lot. So even the teams that are up top are struggling. And then you have everyone below them who I mean, it's typical to have – that's the weird thing about the Premier League is you have these preconceived notions of teams that you quote-unquote should beat or shouldn't beat. Yep. But every week is just so tough and you never know what side's going to show up for, for either team. Absolutely, and I think that's what I like about the Premier League the most. And that's why whenever someone asks me which is the best league in the world, the top of the top may not be the best compared to everybody else. So like uh, City or Liverpool, I I would argue that, well, not this season, but typically Real Madrid or Barcelona, I'd argue that those teams, uh, Juventus, all those teams might be better at the top, PSG. But when it comes to the bottom, I mean, any given day, Narch will beat Man City. Right, like you just can't, you don't see that happen in other leagues at all. And the parity is what makes it so compelling. Oh, Um, absolutely. And at the same time, as frustrating when you're dropping, I mean, like I said, we've already lost to Sheffield United. Um, we yeah. lost to Burnley. And so it's it's been an up and down season, mostly down so far, to say the least. Well, that's exactly right. You know, we just beat Manchester United and lost to Palace. So um, one of the other things to note is for you guys, for your fans on your side, you know, we, we lost our first four games last season. And everybody, and a few people, not too many because it was a starting project where we were like, sack Pellegrini. And then we ended up finishing top half at 10. So, and two points off you guys. So, I, I, and fighting for top seven all season, we dropped the ball a few times. We had like five or six chances to go seventh. But <laughs> either, either way, you know, we still finished top half and uh, a solid end to the season. So, I, I, I'm pretty proud of what happened. And, you know, I, I wouldn't write off after eight games so far this season. No, definitely not. And, and I did want to ask you how, um, I'm going to have to pause. Declan Rice has been performing for you guys this season because he's one that I know has been really highly touted and has made his way into the England squad here and there and um, really a, a really strong defensive midfield player. 
Yeah, so Declan Declan Rice for me has been one of our key players. He has been absolutely astounding chasing balls down in the midfield, and I don't think he gets enough credit. One thing to note, though, is there's a lot of people talking about his performance in England this week, and uh, I, don't, I don't think he really had the best game, but at the same time, not, not really many of them did. So uh, I, there's a lot of people who don't rate Declan Rice, but he's 20 years old, and he's leading majority of the categories in um, in the Premier League. At nineteen, twenty years old, as a DM, yeah. so I, 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 I highly rate him. I think he's one of our best players, and I hope that he does not leave um, in January the summer. I saw there's a few reports that Manchester United might be coming in for him, but I, I've said on our other podcast, if someone gives us big money for Declan Rice, I think we do sell, and as long as we reinvest the money, I would be happy to sell. It would break my heart, but I, I think the money will go for better longevity. Yeah, I think that's the mentality you have to have. And and just in regard to that defensive midfield position, which is so key, I think you can chalk a lot of Everton's struggles this season up to having lost Adrissa Ghanagay to PSG. Um, if you look at what he's done since he's moved there, he's been incredible for them. Mm-hmm. And any Everton fan would tell you that he, based on his performances for us over the last few seasons, we got him from Aston Villa when they last time they were relegated for $7.5 million. And sold him at 30 years old for whatever it was, 30 million. Um, absolutely incredible at winning the ball back, at press, pressuring the opposition. And then the player that we brought in to replace him, Jean-Philippe Gabamin from Mainz in Germany, uh, he's been injured. He picked up a serious quad injury and he's been out for the past six or seven weeks. So you take away that from our midfield, a player like Ghana, arguably top three or four defensive midfield players in the world. And then you also lose his, his replacement. It creates this imbalance in midfield, which I think has caused us a lot of problems because we've had to bring in Morgan Schneiderlin, who formerly of Manchester United has played with us for the last two years, three years. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't really offer anything going forward. And so that kind of creates this imbalance in midfield where you have Gilfie Sigurdsson in front of him who – kind of struggles sometimes to get involved in games because he plays as more of a second striker and doesn't really drop back as much. And you have another midfield player who doesn't want to get the ball forward. So then what happens is we end up playing a lot of balls wide and looking to cross the ball in, and then we don't get players in the box. So the the logic behind our, our attacking strategy has, I think, left a lot of fans a little baffled. But it goes back to just losing a player so instrumental in the midfield in Adrissi Gay and then losing his replacement to injury. And so we've kind of struggled with that depth. Right. So the, I do want to bring up, I think we, I want to transition to the game this weekend and uh, get us on our way. So the game again, folks, is at 7.30 Eastern, the 12.30 lunchtime kickoff for England time and 4.30 a.m. on the West Coast. And that can be found live on NBCSN. So a few of the key injuries here again, like you said, John Philippe is out for Everton. Theo Wadcott is day-to-day with a concussion. Fabian Delp has a hamstring injury, and we are lucky we are missing your starting right back at Seamus Coleman So for uh, suspension. He is your starting right back, correct? Yeah, he is. Typically. And yeah, he's been our, our mainstay at right back for like the last decade, and he's actually been – Pretty good for us this season. A lot of criticism came his way last season. There were some dips in form. But we did pick up in the summer uh, Digibril Sidibe, who actually was in the France World Cup squad when they won. Um, and we got him on loan from Monaco with an option to buy. So this will kind of – he played in our one of our cup matches but hasn't really seen much action in the Premier League. You're, we're going to get our first glimpse of him at right back uh, this Saturday. And I think fans are, are excited but nervous to see uh, how he how he performs. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't have to pronounce that one and you did that before <laughs> me. Uh, we are in West Ham. We are without Lucas Fabianski again. He is going to be out till mid-January. So that's a big, big loss for us. Um, getting behind Roberto. I, I, I think he played solid uh, last week against Palace. I think, well, one of them was a penalty and the other one I didn't really think was all too much of his fault. We're without Antonio still, Snellgrass, and Winston Reed is day-to-day, which the the final three mentioned there really aren't going to affect our starting lineup. So can you give me a prediction and goal scorers for, for Everton? Yeah, so, I mean, I can't predict a loss, obviously. I mean, times are tough right now for Evertonians, but this is a must-win game, and I think the squad is going to be coming back from the international break somewhat refreshed, 
and ready to go. I think they know what's at stake. So I, I, I will I do think it's gonna be a really exciting game and and fun to watch. Fairly open because we tend to be pretty vulnerable on the counterattack. I'm gonna go with a two one win for Everton. I'm gonna say that Rich Arlison and Moise Keane get on Ooh. the score sheet. Gets off the mark there for Moise Keane. I'm going to go one nil win for West Ham. We get back on um, back on winning ways. I think the goal comes from Sebastian Allaire on a scrappy corner. And I think we do a smash and grab. Everton dominates most of the game, and we look a mess, but we somehow smash and grab uh, three points out of that one. So um, I want to say thanks again uh, to James from the American Toffee Podcast. Um, Can you plug your podcast and anything else you want to say there for you guys? Yeah, American Toffee Podcast. You can find us on pretty much any platform, Spotify. We're on YouTube. We're on Apple Podcasts, obviously. And then definitely give us a follow on Twitter. Even if you are a West Ham fan, we we love to engage in debates with fans. The Twitter is at USA Toffee Pod. So give us a follow. Uh, yeah, uh, I would recommend following them, guys. I actually follow them on my personal and on my uh, on our West Ham Way USA podcast, and they're a great follow. They uh, speak a lot of, of good stuff, and they do interact. They'll comment on West Ham info, and I'll comment on Everton stuff. So they're they're a great friend of the podcast, and really appreciate them. So if you want to follow us, it is. West Ham Way US Pod. If you want to follow me, I'm at Tony Clark Dupe on Twitter. Uh, we do have a Facebook. Just shoot us a message at West Ham Way USA. And then uh, last but not least, go follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, uh, your toaster, your TV, and give us a five-star review and a rating. So thank you again, James. I appreciate it. And come on, you irons. And I'm assuming you're going to say... Up the toffees. Up the toffees. Come on, you irons. Thanks again, man. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.